Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within and to my guests, the Reverends Chrissy Rule and John Rule. Um, today, we have called this show Community Healing After the Storm. And when we first started talking about them coming on, we had no idea that there were going to be some hurricanes and also other kind of climate events all over the country, all over the world, actually. But I think also when we talk about storms, we talk about those storms that can happen in our own lives just by living life. So I am so excited about them being with us today. They are dedicated ministers in Savannah, Georgia. They both have a passionate commitment to serve their community. They will share their perspectives as a married couple from different faith traditions who share common goals about the possibilities of community change. Those must be interesting conversations that you have about your different faith traditions. You have to say a little bit about that. They will share how they use and integrate the community resiliency model and asset-based community development. And I think one of the things that's really exciting about what they're doing too is that they have really have a wonderful way of engaging the community, children, families, school systems in preparation for many things. They did a lot of work during the pandemic and well, just life in general. And they're gonna show us and share with us how we can do it too. So let me tell you a little bit about them. And there's more, if you want to hear a longer bio, biographical um, description of both of them, you can go to Voice America's um, Resiliency Within um, page and read more about them. But Reverend Chrissy rules an ordained United Methodist clergy person with 15 plus years of experience in church and nonprofit ministry. She largely focuses on children and families with, a, with a, she also has a Bachelor of Music Education degree from Stetson University and a Master of Divinity degree from Candler School of Theology at Emory University. She's also a certified mediator and she is a community resiliency model teacher. Um, Dr. Reverend John G. Rule was raised in, in, I guess you were born in New York and you were raised by a single mom in Florida. And he received his Master's in Divinity with a dual enrollment at the ITC in Columbia Theology, theological Seminary. Pastor John has a certificate in community organizing from JCTS and Next Church and is working on, a, uh, I guess, a doctorate in divinity. Is that what that is? Is that what that is at Drew, Drew uh, University? Yes. And, and John is passionate. I, I love this about building bridges in communities, addressing felt needs, and describes himself as a public theologian and critical thinking reform misfit. I need more explanation about what that means, but they are married to each other. Um, they're, again, from Savannah, Georgia, and I just want to welcome you both. I'm so excited about you both being here. And um, as we're getting started, what's on your mind? I'm going to ask each one of you. Um, I'm going to start with you first, Chrissy. What's on your mind as we're getting started today? Well, thank you so much for having us. Um, it's a wonderful day here in Savannah. We finally cracked into fall weathers. And it feels great to be here with you. Um, I guess today I'm just thinking about just holding a lot um, of 
you know, some storms with friends that we have and some storms um, in our community that we're, we're holding here in Savannah, as well as um, just, you know, the everyday storms of life. So that's what I'm what I'm thinking about today. Hopefully we can do a deeper dive into some of those yeah. things to submit. And how about for you? Is it all right if I call you um, Reverend John and Reverend Chrissy? Is that okay if I say that that way? Okay. Sure. So, Reverend John. Uh, yeah. And again, thank you for having us today. It's, uh, it's a great honor and um, I look forward to having further conversation with you. I have to admit, I mean, I was listening to you go through the the stuff that uh, is in my bio. I'm like, who's that guy? I'm having a little bit of imposter syndrome, quite quite candidly. <laughs> uh, what, what am I doing here? What is this? But um, I, I'm excited to have this conversation. And and I am uh, passionate about uh, building bridges and, and working with communities in, in felt needs, coming alongside folks and figuring out how we can do this thing together. So... Well, I'm just really thrilled to have you both on the show. And, you know, as we were getting ready to start today, um, we you were sharing with me one of the storms in your personal lives. And I we were talking a little bit, I want to maybe do a deeper dive into this, into this uh, question. And that is, as, as both reverends, and here you're married to one another, living in the same community, um, there's many people that you know that you've come in contact with. And there's also many first responders. Because I think about, you know, Sometimes um, as, as someone who's been, who's traveled around the world after disasters and during many storms of people's lives, when I ask them, what helps you the most to get through? Oftentimes they'll say their faith and they'll say, I've talked to my minister. And mm -hmm. so I know that you're first responders, but I guess the question is, um, how do you all take care of yourselves? when these storms happen, you know, not only in your own lives and people that are dear to you, but into your, in your community. So I'm just going to, whichever one of you wants to go first, I'll just throw it out to both of you and we'll see who responds first. So Reverend John or Reverend Chrissy. I mean, what jumps to, to mind right away is that we find a lot of value in being friends with other first responders. So with other ministers, um, because we feel like we can, not have the mantle of ministry on us and take it off for a second and really be ourselves with them, um, whatever that looks like, and to talk about the hard and be upset and sad and angry. Um, and so we have, we've definitely, one of the self-care things we do is become friends with other clergy people that we can talk about all the awful, horrible things that happen in ministry with. So you can support one another. And how about for you, Reverend John? I'd, I'd give a big uh, head nod for that. I, I think, and I think that folks in our in our profession that that's a growing edge. Quite honestly, that um, it's it's hard um, to to carve out space um, given what what we're looked to do so often. Um, you know, we we get used to serving a certain role, and it's hard to sometimes um uh break away from that a little bit and and dwell a little bit more in our humanity um we're we're so often pr trying to present something um for others that is that it's a it's a difficult thing to work out so it's a growing edge in general and and it's helpful like chrissy said to, to find others who understand those kind of dynamics you know and really vulnerable together is the really hard part 
you really have to say, okay, we're going to be honest with each other and really vulnerable that this moment is hard. Sitting by the bedside of someone dying is hard or that church meeting I just went to where everybody yelled at me is really hard. Or, you know, you have to say what's really hard. And I think that's a hard, hard thing for ministers to do um, because we're often seen as like having it all together <laughs> and being mm -hmm. perfect and you, you've got it together. Um, so to me, vulnerability is definitely the key ingredient in that self-care. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting as you, you're all both talking, I was thinking about just myself being kind of a leader, bringing uh, healing models to the world. And someone asked me recently, well, Elaine, what do you need? What, how can I help you? And, and I was, I was going through something and all of a sudden I felt the tears coming. I'm going, oh, people don't usually ask me what I need. I'm usually <laughs> on the opposite end. And yet I think that vulnerability that we all have, we need to be held sometimes in space. Um, when we feel that parts of our lives are going in ways that are unexpected or, you know, even preparing for things like I know that the the, the hurricane may have come to your community. You were not as hit as hard as some communities nearby. But like, what do you do, like even in preparation for something like that as a faith community? How do you do you send out like social media to your I was going to say to your subscribers, <laughs> to, your <laughs> congregation, to your congregation. How do you prepare for these things? Um, I use social media this past time in preparation for the storm. And we were talking before we got on the show here about, um, uh, about what you were sharing, that the storm happened to not hit us as directly as, say, Valdosta, a few hours away from us. But uh, because we've had storms... Um, hit us directly in the past, um, brought up a level of anxiety that was palpable in, in communities around me. Um, and so I, uh, as somebody who grew up in Florida, uh, has gone through a number of hurricanes, I just used uh, social media to share some, some tips I've learned over the years about how some things that folks may not be thinking about in, in ways to prepare and then to say, you know, it's going to be okay. Um, just, just to offer that as, um, as encouragement and support. Awesome. How about for you, Reverend Chrissy? Um, how do you help your congregants? Right. I think it's a lot of um, checking in on people. There's a lot of text mm -hmm. messaging. There's a lot of phone calls. There's a lot of running. We live in a neighborhood where people are out and about a lot. There's a lot of running into neighbors and the whole, are you evacuating? What are you doing? Um, how do you need help? And I think just that open level of communication um, is invaluable to preparation. I think that, you know, so often the the idea maybe that's promoted is to just hunker down. And so, you know, instead of just turning inward, it's helpful mm -hmm. to start communicating outward and pumping it out like, Hey, we, we still have power on our street. Come charge your phone. Or, Hey, we have, you know, our neighbor, um, in the community sent out a big thing that said, Hey, we have a generator. Do you need to come charge your phone? Um, so I think just being willing to, to share, uh, it's, you know, it sort of goes back to that level of vulnerability again, but willing to say, Hey, I need help or, or, Hey, do you have this or, um, different things that help people get ready for storms. Yeah, so I guess I often say what else is true, that right. yes, 
going on, but look at, we have all this other community involvement and advocacy. So I want to kind of segue into maybe talking a little bit more about yourselves and how you are, you know, from different faith traditions, you're still married, you got a couple kids and you serve in your community. So how did this all come to be that here you are, how did you meet? And hear you from different, you know, perspectives. Maybe it's like we should start from the place that we're both really stubborn, and so mm-hmm. we were always going to stick to whatever tradition we were we were we were raised in. Um, so I'm United Methodist, and John is Presbyterian. And you know, the big joke among us was always that we must be terrible evangelists because we have not converted each other to our denominations at all. Um, but yeah, we, we, we met, um, in Deland, Florida, where I went to college and we were both, uh, involved with ministries down there and, uh, eventually youth ministries in our respective denominations. We were youth directors first and, um, met that way and decided, you know, that after we got engaged that we were going to go to seminary and, um, try to get into the same seminary and that didn't work and really decided that, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna keep going down the Presbyterian and United Methodist paths here. Um, and it's been funny over the years because our churches govern themselves very differently and we have some theology differences and we have some, um, just ways we are the church, um, that's different. And we, we talk about it and we complain about the other's denomination. <laughs> and then we say, I guess we're not going to talk about that anymore. <laughs> we'll well, disagree, I, disagree. Okay. So Reverend Chrissy, I have to get Reverend John's perspective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, okay. So you were both in Florida and you were doing youth ministry. And then what happened from your yeah, perspective? <laughs> uh, we got engaged and, and did all the difficult things right at once. We got, we moved, we went back to school. We uh, started um, seminary together um, and, you know, uh, Chrissy was at Emory. I started out at the ITC, the Interdenominational Theological Center, um, which is, uh, historically black, um, institution in Atlanta. And then after a year transferred and finished at Columbia, which is Presbyterian school. Um, and really, I, I mean, I'd say that, you know, that was really the time where, as we were newlyweds and learning these theological groundings that that's when we start having the conversations about you know well i believe this and i, I just don't agree with that <laughs> um but uh, you know outside of seminary we really don't debate theology that often so i mean well, uh, but yeah. i guess i'm struck by this is a time in in america and in many places around the world where we got to figure out how we can build bridges right, yeah. between our differences so uh, so, so I, I heard Reverend Christian say, well, we'll talk and talk and then we'll go, I guess we won't talk about that anymore. But <laughs> so that could be one way, right? But are there mm-hmm. other ways that you found that you can build this bridge um, with, you know, appreciating your differences and um, going forward in your different faith communities? I definitely yeah. think that um, we, have, we have found the things that we have in common, mm-hmm. the things that we agree on. And for us, that's the foundation. That's, as John would say, that's the ground floor. That's the bottom level. Um, the things that we agree on. And then the rest is just sort of the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. And um, I I think there's been great value in 
seeing two different ways of being the church. I think that's been a really valuable thing um, that has helped us both say, okay, well, there are different ways of doing this. You know, as long as we agree with the foundation here, there's different ways of doing church. There's different ways we can structure ourselves. Um, We don't have to agree and still have the same goals, still have the same dreams, still have the same ways of, of gathering people together. Well, so, and Reverend John, do you have anything that you'd like to add in addition to what um, Reverend Christie has said? Just that in hearing that, uh, I also hope anyway, that it it helps us in um, how we are as parents with our kids. Um, You know, because certainly we have two, we have a 10-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son, and they're certainly different people. And so um, all these um, previous considerations or ongoing talks or debates um, kind of so, exercise the muscle of allowing, you know, different realities to take shape in the way that they will. So I well, think, I think it's, a, it's interesting as you're speaking, wondering with your eight and 10 year old, are they leaning towards Presbyterian or Methodist or <laughs> they just don't know yet? Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't, I don't think they know yet. Um, well, I, I have to fellowship lunch after church. They don't care where it comes from. Well, I have to say, with my own my own daughter, uh, she uh, had training at the um, um, with the um, United Church of Christ and with the Catholic Church, which are they're very different. And one allows you know uh, women to be ministers; the other, of course, doesn't. Although women are involved in many areas in the Catholic Church. So she really wanted to go to both. So I would take her to catechism. And this time, I mean, she's like 10, 11 years old. And I would take, and she would have, go to after school church because we went to both. And then there was a point where she had to make it, you know, get confirmed. I said, well, which church do you want to be confirmed in? And we were very open about how we had differences between my husband and I. And so she finally said, you know, I like both of them because she said they both have the foundation of Christianity and they both believe in that, that same foundational root. I mean, like to say that, John, I know that you said that there's the roots and the fruits. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. But she, you know what was her decision? Reverend Christie, you're going to like this one. But she said, if I wanted to be a reverend, I would want to be in that church because I think I have really good ideas as a woman. And we know that there are some denominations that don't allow women to be in the leadership role. So that was my daughter. So who knows what your kids are going to, I mean, I think both Presbyterians and, and uh, Methodists allow women to be um, the ministers. So that's, uh, that's, you have that going for you, at least from my daughter's perspective. Right. <laughs> but, but it's interesting how even very young ones can start to see the differences and start formulating their, their, their decisions about things. All right. So do you have anything more you want to say about that? Cause I have more questions for you, for you both. I don't, I don't think so. I think we're, I'm good to keep going. Okay. Well, I'm wondering if you can maybe tell us a little bit more about the community of Savannah, Georgia and, and the work that you've been doing within the community and, and maybe keeping in mind, are there things that you have done within your community that can maybe be adopted by others that are living in other communities that say, oh, well, if Reverend John and Reverend Christie did that in Savannah, could we do that in Whomever's listening, we have an international audience that listens to our show. So, okay, who wants to go first on that one? Go ahead, John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Savannah, um, yeah, it's an interesting community. I, I've in working on my doctorate, part of my writing for my dissertation requires that I write the history of the church and where where I am 
And so it gave me the opportunity to learn some things about uh, Georgia being founded. The, the people who founded the church I'm serving currently came over on the boat with uh, Oglethorpe. And I learned that Oglethorpe intended for Georgia to be a, a state founded um, where slavery was not uh, was illegal, wasn't, wasn't instituted here in the founding of Georgia. Um, and his, motive, his reason for that was that his friend um, had, had died in debtor's prison. Um, and he said, you know, nobody should live like that. Um, and so in the very beginning of, of the state of Georgia um, and, and the founding of Savannah, um, that was the reality for a short time, uh, as it happens across the river, South Carolina, and, you know, economy came into to that, I think, and folks were making money hand over the fist, over fist, by using uh, forced free labor. And um, so that was a short-lived um, effort. But anyway, uh, Savannah was founded as a, as a city that had squares around the, uh, the city and, and those squares formed identities of different people groups in the in the fabric of the city, uh, and so um, with that comes a level of um, um, finding identity with other people around you and, and building on um, what's around you, um, and so some of those things I think continue to be part of the DNA of what it means to be in Savannah and from Savannah. Um, and particularly during the beginning of the COVID pandemic, um, I think that played a role in what we're able to accomplish um, together um, because um, together with Chrissy and the mayor of Savannah and the superintendent of schools, we built, we built a network of, um, of churches that were providing space for small groups of, of kids to do online learning. Um, and we called it a rise religious institutions supporting education. Um, and so we had 15 churches in Savannah that bound together and, and offered that. Um, and, and so, yeah, that was the, the beginning of, of some community organizing that we built off of since that time, but that's, that just brings us up to the pandemic and, and the, city of Savannah itself. And so that was one of the, you know, I guess, and maybe John, you can talk a little bit more. You talked to me um, before the show started about roots and fruits. Mm -hmm. and, and so when you talk about roots and fruits and talking about that foundation that you built with those, so say 15 churches mm -hmm. together, could you maybe say a little bit more about that, what that means? Yeah, so I had been a, a pastor at another local church um, for a few years and had started really engaging in um, ministry in a way that was I was looking to connect with other pastors from different denominations from the beginning. And as it happened, you know, I was on a walk one morning, had this thought, you know, I, I can see that the schools aren't going to be opening again. We, we have two kids ourselves that are school age. Um, so, I mean, churches have space and churches have people that can help be volunteers. So what would it look like, you know, for something like this to happen? And I, I called a colleague um, who happened to ha have similar thoughts and we just kind of 
took root from there was uh it was very organic but it would you know I, i'd say that um any good and sustainable community organizing or 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 church work really is about at its foundation at at the roots is 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 very much enriched and founded on um just genuine relationships with other people um it has to be about that i think and Reverend Chrissy, I know that you have a, a special, I think, uh, interest in children. And mm-hmm. uh, I know that you have some ideas with the community resiliency model in faith communities as well. And I'm wondering um, maybe if you can share a little bit about that. Right. So it was really interesting um, in Savannah when when all of this COVID online learning, all the, that was going on to have conversations with other parents that were really going through the same things we were. And those conversations crossed income lines, crossed lines of uh, where we were located in the city, crossed ethnicity lines. Everyone was having the same problem. What should we do? What's going to happen? And I think that sort of gets down to what we were talking about before. That's the thing we found that we had in common. We were all really different people with really different um, you know, kids, really different schools, really different neighborhoods, really different incomes to support whatever we might have to do with with schooling. But everyone had this same problem about, oh no, how do we go to work and also um, educate our kids? And so one of the things that, that John mentioned that this coalition did was um, have these virtual learning pods. Um, and the church I was serving, we had three pods there. At one point, there was over 70 kids there. I became like a principal overnight of trying to deal with all of these kids, including my own, who loved to go to the principal's office and, you know, chat it up, right? So, you know, it was really a crisis that we quickly had to figure out. And I think um, what John was saying is foundational to all of this was it was built on relationships and not just, um, you know, these inward relationships where we're only looking at each other saying, what do we do? It was really built on relationships with others in other parts of the city. Um, and that's that to me has been a really critical thing about moving the community and moving children and families forward is that we have intentionally um, sought out friendships with people that don't look like us, people that don't go to church, people that don't have kids in the same school as ours. We've really tried to be intentional about building that bridge outward and creating community with with those that, um, you know, we have in common that we live in Savannah. Okay, that's it. Let's start that's, there. That's the commonality. That's your foundation. <laughs> you live in Savannah, Georgia. That's I I'd love to hear more about how you built those relationships because I mean, we can say, oh, you just have to build relationships, but it's not always easy to build relationships, especially if you're, you all live in Savannah, but you may have completely different backgrounds and maybe have historical also trauma of, I don't go to that side. So when we come back, we are going to, we're going to go, we're going to take a short break right now. When we come back, can we talk more about how did you specifically do that? And I'm also really interested in these virtual learning pads. 70 kids. Oh, Reverend Chrissy. Oh, my goodness. And knowing that so many parents were so stressed during the pandemic as well. It's like, oh, yes, we want them to go to school, but we need we need some skills to be able to maneuver this so that we 
nurture our children and not make them suffer because we're suffering. I think all those things were going on. So, so my dear listeners, we will be back in just a couple minutes where we are going to hear more from Reverend John and Reverend Chrissy about their, their good works, really your good works in Savannah, Georgia. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karis book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back. Um, I am with Reverend John Rule and Reverend Chrissy Rule, and they're talking about their amazing advocacy in Savannah, Georgia. And we were just talking about Savannah, the beautiful city of Savannah, Georgia. And we were talking about relationships. And and you both have said that it was key that during storms like the pandemic and other storms is key to, to build relationships. And there's a lot of diversity. So could you talk a little bit about the diversity within Savannah and also how did you reach out to folks to say, hey, how can we work together? So um, who'd like to go first? Yeah, well, uh, as I was sharing earlier, when I started in Savannah, I um, I looked to connect, especially with people who um, maybe had gone to the ITC like I did, um, folks who uh, maybe studied in that way, um, just to connect and say, hey, I, I went there too, and do you remember this professor or, or whomever? But as it as it happened, meanwhile, um, in those early days of of ministry, there there was kind of an uptick in gun violence, 
And as I was beginning to reach out, um, there was a pastoral association that was forming um, to to come together and show solidarity about that specific issue. Um, so that was really an entree to me, um, connecting with folks and um, and being with a diverse group of clergy people, uh, really from the early part of my ministry here. And it um, and that kind of was building blocks for later things that came down the road. So one of the ways to build relationship is the relationship you have from the past. So your relationship yeah. that you developed, I mean, I think, isn't it interesting how every relationship, it might be something just in passing, but that person may remember your kindness, your compassion, the way that you maybe even responded to a question when you're in school together. And then you go back to that community and say, Hey, we want to do something. And what do you think about this? But they know you already. And so they know mm -hmm. a little bit about you to think, okay, we'll listen to what Reverend John has to say. Well, and then how about Reverend Chrissy? So, um, you know, Chrissy, I've, I've known you a little bit more than I've known Reverend John, and you just have a warm way about you. Um, it's very inviting. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, kind of, kind of feel when I first met you that I could probably talk to you just about almost about anything. And you'd probably say, it's okay, it's okay that you have that weird thought. <laughs> you know, that happens a lot. And, um, you know, I'll relate it back to, to something that happened to us this weekend. We talked a little bit about before the show that we, um, this weekend, were able to visit with a long, long ago friend who is a pastor and whose wife has terminal cancer. And when we visited, the house was full with people, was just packed with people when we got to the house to visit. And they were all surrounding his wife. And when we visited, he ended up pulling us aside into a different room and just sat and talked and talked and cried and, um, you know, was sad and laughed and just was able to have that space to be vulnerable in himself and not the pastoral presence that was expected next door in the living room of him. Um, and so for me, a lot of that relationship building is just showing up and being that active listener. I think that, you know, so often where we value um, trying to get all of our words out and trying to say something that's going to be um, maybe connecting or impressive or something to the other person. And just that simple act this weekend reminded me that one of the best ways to form relationships is just showing up. Um, in ministry, we call that the ministry of presence. Yeah. Just showing up and being there. That's it. Don't I didn't have to come with a big story. John didn't have to, you know, drop a bunch of jokes to get in. He just really wanted us to to sit there and listen and be present in the moment. And I think that um, sort of lends itself to a conversation about uh, resiliency, a conversation about mindfulness, a conversation about being present with people. Um, and to me, that's been like the key to so many relationships is being present. Um, and yeah, John and I would agree this happens to us a lot. People meet us and we listen and then they just start talking and talking and talking and talking. Um, and 
to me, that's been a key and something we we hope to teach our children as well, that one of the most valuable things you can do is just show up and be present and listen. Well, I just love that, that the way that you put that, because I can just imagine way back in Florida when you were just very young, seeing that in each other, that you were present for each other, which I can imagine may have attracted you to one, one another going, oh, she's really listening to me. Oh, he's really listening to me. This this may be something that's 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 a good thing. And now you carry this forward. You know, the 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 I always say that, you know, like the fruits, John, the that these are the fruits of your relationship and how you bring them forth in the world. And mm-hmm. when you're talking, Chrissy, too, I thought, oh my gosh, you're talking about all the human emotions. Because I think if you have that actual presence, then that, those kinds of things happen. You know, there's the sadness, the grief. I mean, how can you, I mean, his beloved wife is dying of terminal cancer. And yet there are these little moments, these little ingredients of laughter and humor that come in even during these dark times. But I think it has to do with that space that, you know, John, you were talking about allowing that container to be there that all of it is there and um, mm. just lovely um so i want to ask you another question um and this is something that you were um th- that you both had mentioned to me when we met before and that is um and i don't really know that much about what it means but i think it's what you're already talking about what is asset asset based community development and why is that important because it sounds like relationships would be an ingredient to that, but I think there's more to it. Yeah, absolutely. And relationships are the ground floor. um, The the model asset-based community development grew out of uh, ingredients from Saul Linsky, who was doing uh, organizing in, I think, Detroit. And, um, you know, we see United Auto Workers uh, banging together even today. And, And in those early days that that's where he was coming from. And then uh, Septima Clark, who, was, who Martin Luther King called the mother of the movement. Um, what she did in the civil rights movement was kind of working um, under the radar and behind the scenes to create what's called freedom schools that essentially she was an educator and she was teaching folks to read by using um, uh the American Constitution, things that would empower them to to both read and to become advocates for themselves um, in learning their rights. Um, and so asset-based community development kind of comes from certain ingredients of those type of things, becoming aware of what's around us, doing an exercise called asset mapping to, to consider uh, in a community not from not from the beginning point of what's a deficiency, but what's an asset. What can we name that it are things that we can that we have in our hands that can be used to really build and foster growth um, as we gather with each other um, to to make a positive change in our community. And so, um, so I, I and I think just uh, entering into conversation with those type of ideas in itself has some some rich ingredients in building community just talking about the possibilities talking about the things that we already have um in in common as we enter into um conversation about what's possible um and as you're talking about that 
too, I'm, I'm, I also, in the community resiliency model, and maybe Chrissy can integrate a little bit more about that, is I talk about a paradigm shift that oftentimes mm. talking to individuals or communities, it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> they talk about the problems, not the strengths and the assets. And so instead of saying, well, what's wrong with that community? What's right about it? And there's so mm -hmm. many things that are right about it. And there's something that happens to us as human beings that kind of, you know, that aliveness, the lightness that turns on in our eyes when we talk about our strengths. And that's so connected to, I think, the community resiliency model as well. But but uh, Reverend John, I realized I interrupted you. There might have been a continued thought that um, you wanted to say. I'm sorry about that. That's like, okay. <laughs> getting lost in my own thoughts so it's a good okay. place to come in <laughs> okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna come over to to reverend christie because i just see how there's a connection between this asset um development perspective that you just brought forward and the community resiliency model so chrissy yes i actually was thinking the exact same thing you were thinking <laughs> is, right we're starting from this point about what's wrong with you or what's wrong with us or you know, we here in Savannah might say, well, we don't have this or we don't have this. We don't have this benefit of a big city or, or um, you know, we're lacking in something. And so really stopping and pausing and looking at the things that we do have, um, the assets around us was instrumental in forming this group during COVID, but it has also been instrumental in just moving forward as a community and moving forward um as a city to really not feel like we're we're lacking all the time in um especially the thing that i think churches often find themselves saying is well we don't have the finances to do that we're lacking in finances we don't have the money to do that um and really instead looking at what resources are available around us creating those relationships and moving forward with the assets that are already there by saying well what's right with us though what are we doing well? Um, and I think that to me is like the key ingredient to creating hope, the key ingredient to moving towards, uh, you know, resiliency as a community, the, the key ingredient for me, the intersection between faith and resili resiliency is that idea of hope. And I think by combining asset-based community development and the community resiliency model, it helps propel a faith community, many who are failing, who would say we don't have these things, um, we've lost it, we've lost everything, we've lost this, 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 moving more towards this, this pathway of hope and towards this idea of hope that is embedded in our faith, but we've, we've lost sight of. Well, I think, I wonder if you both could say a little bit about, um, about Jesus and hope. I, you know, I often have, you know, read this, the, this, the scriptures, the New Testament, and I just kind of, you know, it's, I mean, I know this is going to sound maybe a little bit strange, but I used to love the film Pollyanna. <laughs> and Pollyanna, because they talked about all those happy scriptures. And when I was first starting um, the community resiliency model, and I went into a faith community to do a teacher training, the first day there were like five people there and there were supposed to be 25. And the next day there were, 
there were the 25. And I thought, oh, and I went up to the person. I said, Miss Helen, did people get the wrong day? And she says, oh, no, we were checking you out. We would have none of that. Um, well, at that point, she did not believe in the word, word mindfulness. She said, I don't care what you say about it. I just think it's Buddhism and I don't want anything you know, to do with that. And even though, you know, we've had many Buddhist practitioners on here, and I'm not here to say anything negative about that at all. But I think that, you know, when we have different perspectives, um, that can, I think, affect what we're trying to 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 do in the world. But I think what I'm, I'm trying to say is, um, I learned from her, that what she did when her and her, co her colleague, Miss Lowenstein, went in the Bible and found all these different um, Bible verses that were congruent, to the community resiliency model teachings about, you know, grounding and, you know, how Jesus would talk about, you know, foundations and um, our connection actually to the earth in some ways. And so I just think it's, I thought it was important and I learned from them how important it was to connect our advocacy and the work that we're doing with our faith. So I'm just wondering if there's any of the teachings of Jesus that you would both like to bring out that are connected very connected to the work that you're doing in the world. So, well, I would, what jumps to mind right away is that I think the thing that we as Christians often overlook is that Jesus had great wellness skills. He had wonderful self-care too big of a crowd. Okay. I'm going to go away for a while, regroup, recover, um, ground, meditate, um, pray, all those things, and then come back and be a part of the community. Um, you know, he was around water a lot and knew the healing power of water. He was, you know, able to gather people around him wherever he went because he was in a place where he had taken that self-care seriously, that he was, you know, really pulling himself out of the community to, to pray, to, um, take respite in some way and then coming back in. And for me, that, that shows signs of hope too, that, that if Jesus was able to care for himself by doing the hard work of being in community, we can look at some of those things as well and really have hope that as, as pastors, at least we can do this really hard work of being in ministry and, and taking care of people and creating community while at the same time, having some great wellness skills in place that gives us hope for tomorrow, hope for another, another time, another community, another church meeting, whatever. <laughs> it might be. Well, and so Reverend John, you have something to add to that. Um, the first, story that came to my mind was um uh the feeding of the five thousand um where somebody where jesus recognized that people the the day was getting long you know shadows were growing on the ground folks were tired and, and hungry and he asked the disciples what they had and it was insufficient for a crowd that size and then came forward somebody who offered what they had with them. And, um, and as the plate passed around, folks took some and added some because uh, they didn't come without, they, they, they shared what they had. And, and somewhere in the friction of sharing with others and, um, you know, just uh, the, the power of the community and who they were in fellowship with, um, I want to believe. <laughs> 
that that Jesus brought the increase from the from the generosity that was shared in the in that crowd um and um so yeah i mean i see asset-based community development in that and i see a tremendous amount of hope of of just um bringing forward what we have with us and passing the plate and um and discovering the abundance that can come out of the people gathered together and, and and grounded in goodwill and and faith in something much bigger and you know it's so it's so interesting as as you both were talking and Chrissy was talking about um um taking time i guess for reflection for prayer i never thought about it this way but the 40 days in the desert were kind of like a very important silent retreat of mm. or and many people go on silent retreats these days but i think that when we do have times to reflect and being in those those moments of prayer and meditation that oftentimes I think important gifts are given to us. Sometimes, you know, that we can solve problems that we didn't know that we could solve. And so anyway, yet there's, so I think there's many lessons that even though that was thousands of years ago that are applicable to the work that we're doing in that community building of feeding the thousands, um, John, I think is one of those. So, um, so can you talk a little bit more, you know, about the word resiliency? I want to, when would, um, you know, sometimes that word is not necessarily embraced by everyone. I, you know, speak a lot about this word around the world and, you know, sometimes it's been weaponized to mean, well, why are you using the word resiliency? You know, when people use that, um, sometimes I feel like that they're saying, oh, you're a resilient group. So you don't need to have support or you don't need to be listened to in the way that is important for you to know what are some of the challenges of our community. It's like almost getting to the point of some people saying, oh, it's like toxic positivity. So could you maybe give us a little bit of your definitions about what that means when you talk about the asset development connected to resiliency, for example? I mean, for me, the most interesting thing about resiliency is to think about the idea that um, so many people are defining it as the ability to bounce back. And I think, Elaine, what you said yourself, maybe in something um, I've read with the Trauma Resource Institute, is bounce back to what? And I think that that's probably the push from faith communities, like, bounce back to what? What are we bouncing back to? Um, And it's sort of, so I think it's, you know, before John connects it here to asset-based community development, it's really interesting to start to think about, right, that negative perspective that faith communities are already bringing to the table with, um, you know, all the statistics that pastors and churches are bombarded with about church decline and okay, but right, resiliency seems toxic or what are we bouncing back to? Um, So I think it's interesting to think in that way to start out the, you know, the what do we don't have and now here, what do we do have now that could define resilience? And I think for for me, it's I've, I've thought a lot about this is that it's not that we don't acknowledge the suffering and that there are things that are happening that we know are causing you know, harm to the community individually, to families, to the wider community. But sometimes I think people get stuck there. They don't know they can lean out to the assets that I think, you know, you so well explained, Reverend John. So you want to say a little bit more about that word in relationship to asset development? 
Hmm. Yeah. I, um, I've never really, I haven't previously thought about that. I, I, you know, Chrissy did the resiliency training and, you know, I, I was, um, uh, you know, coming from the, the, um, certificate I received through Johnson C. Smith, uh, with asset based community development, but I'd sort I, I see connections around, uh, things that you're expressing about, uh, identifying, uh, the things that we, we do have, uh, even in the face of, uh, um, you know, the struggles and the, um, the difficulties or even oppressive realities. Um, what, what can we gather around that binds us together that we do have in our hands and what can we use together to, uh, be who we are in the face of these, these things. Uh, um, and that, to me, that represents what resiliency is. That that's a picture of resiliency in my mind. I love that. What binds us, and oh my, we only have a few minutes left, and those are beautiful parting words, John. Um, and mm. I'm going to ask Reverend Chrissy if there's some um, final thought she would like to leave our community, um, our our conversation today. Oh my goodness, like you're you're muted, so I can't hear you. Sorry about that. I would say that um, in faith communities, if you're working in a faith community, if you're worshiping in a faith community, if you're even driving by and casting some shade at a faith community, um, to know that hopefully that there is hope inside, that, that people have are trying to find hope in the midst of a storm and really trying to to see how they can be resilient as a community and move forward. And um, any way that you can lend to that, which in our purview is any way you can create relationship to move that resiliency forward is a valuable piece to helping the community. And I have, I can imagine that the two of you have a pretty open door if somebody's struggling in Savannah that they could reach out to you. And so how can people um, get in contact with you? Some of our listeners say, I wanna talk more to these two folks about asset development and community resiliency. So is there a website or we got a minute left. So tell us oh, how wow. Yeah, went by fast. I told you it would. <laughs> yes. um, well, our, our email address is office at whitebluffpresbyterian.com. Uh, that that's a good place to go. And we're also on the internet as um, whitebluffpresbyterian.com. Uh, so whitebluffpresbyterian.com. Listen to that again. Go ahead, Reverend John. Just wanted to lift up a name, Howard Thurman. I, uh, from my studies at ITC with asset-based community development and the intersection with all the crisis, the resiliency that you're saying, that's that's somebody to take a look at. Um, okay, so Howard Thurman is someone you should read about and hear about. Well, oh, Reverend John and Reverend Christie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your positive outlook, your hopefulness. Um, I just really appreciate you both so much and the work that you're doing in the world. And I'm probably going to have to invite you over one more time so you can talk a little bit more about what grew out of that wonderful, <laughs> those 70 kids, we need to get back to them and what's happened since then. So you'll be hearing from Elaine again. I hope you will come back and share your, your wisdom. And also I know that you're working on a really exciting project to 
uh, Reverend Christie, that I, we want to hear more about regarding faith communities and children and the community resiliency model. So until we meet again, please remember our audience as you're listening, what else is true in your life. And certainly Reverend John and Reverend Chrissy live in that way of creating assets in their community, creating relationships, reaching out when people are suffering and creating hope. Until we meet again, this is Elaine Miller-Karis signing off for Resiliency Within. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karis, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karis, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.